Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bossit Podcast. In fact, with my new with my guest for today, I've already been going for nearly half an hour, so we've been having a fascinating conversation pre-podcast, and uh, I think it will uh, I think it will prove so uh, during the podcast. There's a number of uh, commonalities that we've got and uh, things that we'd like to cover. So I'd like to introduce to you uh, Nick Gladwell from Amberley Innovations. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for joining. Morning. No problem, Mark. It's, it's Gladwell, actually, not Gladwell. Oh, sorry. That was yeah. my own writing. I told you I was using this new <laughs> note-taking. Uh, um, for, um, which would have made my dad Malcolm Gladwell, the famous author. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that might have is, worked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He is actually Malcolm Gladwell, not Malcolm Gladwell. But, uh, anyway. I have to change that. <laughs> you've, you've had a number of years in the technology sector. You, we were speaking earlier about you starting out as a developer and a coder. Mm-hmm. How much fun was that? It, it, it was great fun for me, not yeah. so not so much fun for the people receiving the software I was developing to be. To be. <laughs> <laughs> There's so, honesty for you. Well, yeah, so so I started I started working with Nortel Networks um, in the day. It was BNR then Bell Northern Research. So going back quite a way. So yeah, I started off as a developer. It was um, and I and I and I've always loved developing. You know, I was on the ZX81, believe it or not, coding little space invader right. games. Yes. Um, but my code was never robust. I was never, I, I could make it, I'd love, I loved the process of creating code and making things work, but I wasn't very good at making it work very well in a sort of industrial environment or in a, in a, in the real world, shall we say? Yes. So, so I think as probably as, as many people do, especially early in their career, they will try different roles because often our expectations as to who, you know, the, the role, the job that we want changes with experience. Mm-hmm. And it sounds as though you sort of you you had that flexibility. You tried product marketing, uh, product management. Uh, you said that you worked for ECI. Yes. Um, you've been a CrossFit coach, so we've both got that in common about yeah. about fitness. Were you consciously sort of doing that of of saying that doesn't feel quite right? I need to test and try, or or was it just opportunities and you just thought, yeah, I'll give it a go? Was there a conscious decision there? So, so, so the yeah, a, a little bit is to be fair. I, 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 I was never. I, I like to try as many new things as possible, right, and experience as many sort of new things as possible. The, the sort of the the trip through the business world has very much been that that technology piece. Um, yeah. And code coding is great, but it can be quite an isolating and and not a particularly sociable job at times. Mm. Um. And so, so, so I definitely needed to work with people, which is why the sort of product marketing, product management side of thing was was important. Um, when I when I took over ECI and 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 you know as their divisional president running that, that was a great broader experience in business, mm. um, and and then that was what I needed. I, I was looking for. I've always liked the process of business. What what it is, how how we're we're creating a product and creating something that people want and need. And how to get that to them and how to get them, how, not not to buy it, but to, how to get it across their consciousness so that there's something that they see significant value in, in, in buying it. And that whole process of doing business in that way, because um, there's a lot of people out there just selling stuff and selling stuff very well. 
Um, but I, I, it's deriving real value and adding real value. And that, that was where, so when we talk about that conscious route through the career, it was exploring a lot of those different areas and understanding both the sort of technical and the psychological aspects of that. So that's why I had quite a broad set of roles. So basically when I got aboard, I moved on to a, another role and, and tried something else out. So, I mean, now you're, you're focused in the area of sort of process automation mm-hmm. um, and, and AI or intelligent automation. How much of, of, you know, what you're able to do now and who you are now has been, has been framed by that previous experience, you know, having broad business experience and working in those different areas? Oh, so, so, so getting interesting in that was born from, you know, scratching an itch to be fair. You know, uh, when I was, when I was, when you, when you're in a biz, when I was running ACI, there was so much opportunity to optimize, to look at business process and there was never enough time to do it. And there was never enough time for me to do it. There was never enough money to employ somebody to do it you know we were always running hard against targets and which which is right which is what we should have been doing for for, for this day uh, shareholders but if if i'd have had somebody or i could have lent on somebody like the business i'm running now amberly to just talk to them to bring them in and with with the objective of saving money over actually quite the short term you know six to nine to twelve months that would have been absolutely ideal to me that was what I would have loved to have known somebody doing what I'm doing now so that's that's where it came from I just thought if I could have somebody who could look at what's going what yes. what I know can be more efficient and look at yeah. it in a rigorous rigorous way and apply some structure and some very real metrics around that and provide that back to me so that I've got the proof and authentication of what we're doing here that would have been really really valuable to me and what one of the things that I've been talking a lot about to various people and occasionally on this podcast is I think that the software sector is, is changing. It's, it's, it's almost becoming a different animal mm-hmm. and we're going to see um, a different mindset is needed, but it's not just more technology. We're going to see more businesses, um, even smaller businesses using technology because we're getting another layer of you know, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, RPA, knowledge graph, all of these things, and the ability to be able to interact with software is, is dramatically improving. Um, you know, I think that if, if we're to look at the software sector and you know, sort of innovations and improving, it's, it's been steady, but I think it's, it's really going to steepen and we're going to see smaller businesses saying we, we have to have tech, we have to become a technology company, whereas in the past they may have been wary. And those larger companies that have been using technology have to get much better at it and go deeper and really be, you know, much more effective at doing that. I, I see that as not just a continuation. It's like a fusion of all of those technologies. How much of that would you agree with or not? So, so, Okay, so I think there's there's a number of points there. I think yeah. as technology improves and and we build that additional layer, that layer of abstraction away from the, the source code, it yes. allows people who are slightly less technical to apply their creative skills and creative knowledge to solving particular problems, be they in, in business or, or what whatever. So I think that acceleration is because it's becoming the effectively coding 
or developing software is becoming much more accessible to the to the general public uh, or the general public or the or the, the populace in in the business world particularly yeah. i think that said i don't think i think there's a lot of innovation in the low code space that's looking looking promising but i don't think it's there yet i've seen i've seen a few a few drag and drop interfaces looking looking good and starting to for relatively simple problems become very effective um i don't think it's quite there yet i think i think over the next two to three years i mean i, I and actually the iteration of this software is, is becoming fast now and much 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 faster i mean you you and i talked about some people who aren't quite doing it as well as they could be and yeah. other people who are innovating in that space yes that are that are bringing that to market now so i think that that I, I completely agree with the sentiment that we are that, that that layer of abstraction is bringing it, making it more accessible to people. So we're seeing much more creative software coming out to to enable businesses, both products to market and also within businesses to make them more effective and more efficient. So yeah, so I think I think that's absolutely a trend that's happening right now. Yeah, I mean the the, the World Economic Forum they talk about it as the the, the fourth industrial revolution. The third was the technology, the PC you know, software, but the fourth is more about the use of, better use of that technology. That, that's, that's what I see. And, and uh, no code is, is, is very interesting. And you mentioned that they're not quite there yet. Where, where do you think that it's falling down? Where does it not fulfill the promise? So, so, so it seems to, and, I, and I've worked with a number of these platforms and we're, we're looking at them all the time because we, we see this as a key component of what we deliver in, into our customers. But um, you, you can go to a certain point with these with the technology and then you want to do something that's a little bit different and then you find yourself having to branch out to traditional coding right, right. yes uh, and, and and so so there's not quite the, the, the there's there's a there's a, a level of sophistication that you can go up to after which point it sort of falls off a cliff back in traditional coding and i think once you smooth that out, because you're always going to have to get to that point, I, yes. I think I think it's never going to be eliminated, and, and nor should it be. No. Um, but I, I think it's not quite to the point where it can do it can do most things you wanted to do. I think it can do some yeah. of the things you want it to do. Yes. Now it's going to take a better brain than mine to tell you how you bridge that gap. Although I will be applying applying my brain and and, and my contact brains to that particular problem. But I think. It's, it's definitely getting there. And I see tools, um, tools, let's talk about some simple tools like, like Zapier, for example. Mm. They're, they're making that whole interface with APIs significantly easier. And, and that is working really, really well. So if you want to create an API, you know, make a, a, and manipulate the data going in and the data coming back with very simple objects like JSON that I think, you know, most people can handle those concepts very, very easily. Yes. Um, I think, I think you know these tools have got that. I've got that nailed. The more complex choreography around manipulating multiple objects and multiple data sources, and mushing that together into some kind of interface, be it on a mobile, be it on the desktop, be it on you know somewhere on on the web, I think is not quite there yet. And I think, but I, I think we're seeing some interesting things coming out that are that are getting yeah. just just close. I think I mentioned. I was looking at technology called make.com that seemed to be have, have added that choreography piece and, and although not ideal is getting much closer to what we're seeing. And I know 
I know, Mark, you're involved in. in some yes, that's right. Things. We're going to be making an announcement sort of fairly soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really interested to sort of see your perspective. You're the, you know, you're in that area of working. And I, I think I agree with you. I feel I, I've spoken to a number of people that, you know, are coding, that are doing the programming. And when you mention no code, low code, there, there is, I suppose, in a way, they've been alienated to a degree because it's, it's almost been presented that anyone could come in and just do drag and drop. And, and all of their skills are no longer needed. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I sort of likened that a little bit to, to the, because I'm a keen photographer, when photography went from being film to digital, and there was a little bit of a battle. And I'm, I was part of that, that film. Mm-hmm. I'd been trained for years in dark, you know, using the dark room. And I thought all my skills are going to be lost. The reality was, it wasn't. I just needed to make that transition. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's the same there. There's, the, there's a marketing aspect to this. And some coders are thinking that we're trying to be replaced. But those guys have got really good skills, not just about being able to, to code, but about process and, and understanding about solutions to problems that will be very useful. And they're always being needed. Oh, I, I think, you know, I think... <clears throat> I think you make a good example of of how software engineering has has developed as a discipline, right? When when I started coding in the eighties, engineering and software weren't really something you used in the same sentence, right? You just yes. went away and you hacked a bit. But now, because of the size and complexity, and you know the security implications and um, and privacy issues. A good software engineer is truly a great engineer, right? A really, really good engineer. And that discipline is not going to go away. And I think, and, and, you know, let's let's be clear. It's not like there are enough software developers in the world. There's a huge shortage of software engineers. So that core core skill set is going to be there. But for the less good developers, people like myself, this this revolution in, in... being able to build robust code with yeah. rigor, uh, with, with and apply creativity to developing solutions is 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 absolutely, as you say, uh, the next the next stage in it. And you know, I I think as you say, it needs positioning with the with the purists. Yes, but I, I still think there's space for both. I don't think they're they're no, I, no, I totally agree. It, it, at all. And you, you you mentioned a word that I've been discussing a lot in this regard, which is creativity creativity is is something that probably doesn't come from repetition and and monotony of having to repeat the same thing over and over again if you look Mm -hmm. at you know artists they tend to work quite quickly and i think there is an opportunity for people who are having to you know write code over and over again things that they've done many times before to be able to do those parts very very quickly and then innovate in certain areas to create a solution. Mm-hmm. I think that that would stimulate more creativity because we do need more creativity in the software solutions that are used in business. I think there's a big opportunity now. They've got more potential tools that they can pull upon, but you've got to create the right environment and allow people to collaborate. And, and I, I think, yeah, I think it's a, a slight, it's a, it's a technical company will have a different makeup. I think the way the business will be put together will be, you know, you know, you're not going to have these guys sat in a, the Dark developers room. sat in, in the darkened yes. room, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> some, sometimes the product owner and the scrum master speak to them occasionally, you know, yes, if they, if they right. can. <laughs> <laughs> don't go in there, you know, they Absolutely. don't want to be bothered. Yeah. But, but wouldn't it be great if you had, you know, you had, you know, you had 
that, that, that the whole team, the whole creative team, and I'm thinking of a small business now, but, you know, just typically who went in, designed stuff and half built it and came out with real prototypes that, that you could test, you know, the whole uh, MVP, come out with an MVP that you can take and test to market and you've got marketing who have been involved in it, sales in it, Absolutely. finance, that, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. I, I think this is, could be that revolution. I think we could be close to that. Yeah, again, I mean, the idea of being able to prototyping and being agile, Mm-hmm. whereas you're setting people who are sitting in the darkened room a problem and they go away and they disappear for months and then they come back with something and they look at it and think, no, it's not that. Well, yeah. <laughs> <If> you, <laughs> it's, you know, you, you haven't understood our problem, but how could they, you know, if they yeah. could, if they can create iterations and it can be really agile to create something that can, can be discussed that, that other people, you know, the commercial people within the business can say, oh, I get that. I understand that, yeah. Well, if, if the development's fast enough so that the commercial people can be there whilst it's being developed, you know what I mean? Try this, try that, try the other. That the prototype almost becomes the product. I mean, that's almost your, your holy grail to a degree, isn't it? If it you is. Get to that point. Yeah. Here's a prototype. And let's take, throw it out to market, see if it works right, tweak it, change it, bang, done, off we go. And yeah. that, that, that cycle can be extraordinarily fast and very collaborative and creative. I, I've spoken to companies... Uh, that have been working on a solution that's gone on months. And the problem that they've had is the people that started the project were no longer within the company. Right. And, and, and they, were, they were sort of forgetting what the problem was that they were starting to solve. It's that difficult. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, when you, it takes that long. Really interesting. Let's talk a little bit about process because that's, a, that's also mm-hmm. really at the heart of what you do. And we had an interesting yes. conversation talking about process automation. And, and you were saying that, you know, one of the potential pitfalls is, is bad process automation is taking and really not understanding about optimizing and making a great process before you automate it. You sort of, you're automating crap, really. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Give yeah. us your process and we'll make you fail an awful lot faster, right? Yes. Give us a crack. Give us a yeah give us a crap process and and yeah we can help you hemorrhage money money so what's your what's your approach to avoid that well i mean so 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 i think we just touched on it you know it's understanding the problem you're solving right so um yeah. you know it, I, I, and to some degree it goes back to you know a lot of process engineering right back to sort of you know elijah gold rat the gold kind of thinking is you know looking at the machine in its entirety you know and looking at where the problems is so so when we go in and, and we we often hear here's a you know a good exact uh, it's a classic automation problem because there are so many moving parts in it and the amount of times we've spoken to businesses about it is un- unbelievable but it's the whole onboarding of employees piece yes yes you know and 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 there are you know that often just taking what people are doing it, it, the onboarding of employees i think is probably the most ad hoc process that i see in most businesses which involves just lots of emails being sent to lots and lots of different people so you know like we say we could say well when this comes in we can make sure this person gets emailed that person gets emailed that because but at the end of the day you're still not tying together all the loose ends so we have to let's sit down what was the ideal process for onboarding a candidate be for the candidate so they have a great experience they get all the knowledge and then for the business what do the how can we bring them on for the business is fully understandable fully accountable fully auditable you know and that 
that employee has been brought on correctly. And you, every business does it, but every business by necessity has to do it differently just because of the way the business is built, by sure. the industry they're in, all those kinds of things. So, so we will work with, you know, typically HR, but also, um, but also uh, HR and, and IT, you know, you need to bring them in. Often they're not talking to one another. Often HR are frustrated because they can't get um, uh, HR are frustrated because they can't get the you know they come in they haven't got a, a, a username and password or a phone on their desk. Yes, I yes. I tear frustrated because we only found out about this yesterday and we were expected yes. to set it all up, up yes. last week. And so getting them all in the room, getting them talking, and and building out that you know that end to end process, getting that nailed down you know so that everybody's agreed on that automate as many of those pieces as we can as early as we possibly can but start yeah. start testing it um i'm not entirely sure i answered your question there but um no 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 i mean it's, i think i think it's a very good example and as you say it's like it's it's a it's an issue that all companies mm-hmm. have to uh, overcome because that those first few days sets the scene for how people view that their new company that they're now working for Exactly right. But if you don't understand the process you're trying to solve, then it, it's, you know, there's no point in putting any kind of automation or clever AI in, in, into that mix. You just need to make sure that, you know, you understand what the process is and how it fits in with the bigger picture, you know, uh, mm. of, of the entire business. What's the, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned over the years? In the business? Gen- in business. In, in business, yeah. Uh, do what you love, I think. Right. Actually, I know and, 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 and that's sort of a bit left field and it's not meant to be sound no, no, way no. out and a hippie. But yeah. if you're interested in what you're doing, genuinely interesting, you, you'll apply the correct amount of time, attention, devotion and care to what it is that you're doing, whatever part of the business that may be, you know, and, yeah. and you'll have made, you know, this, this completely baffles me. But I see people in finance who absolutely love finance, right? They absolutely love the mechanics of numbers and making it work. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm interested in what goes in and what comes out, but yeah. how it works in between, not so. And, and they really care about that. And you find people, it doesn't matter what part of the business, how interesting or boring it might be. If you really, really do what you love, mm. then you, you derive value from it and everybody arrives, everybody around you derives value from it. And I think it, it comes through you're a happier person and, and you communicate better with people generally. So it's, you know, it's, it is a little bit light and fluffy, but I, I no, 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 I, I believe that. No, I agree. As a, as a fundamental, I think it gives you that extra energy that drives you forward and it, and it makes you willing to, to want to learn more and, and, and get better, not just fill the, fulfill the objectives of a particular role. You're, uh, you know, you're always wanting to educate yourself and hopefully remain flexible and always be learning which is really important and nick we we had quite a chat beforehand and what i'm going to suggest is that we if possible um we do a podcast in two parts because there was quite a number of things that came up um i've got i've got um i've got i've done another call couple of calls coming up but i'd like to do this in two parts because there was a number of things that i would like to go in further i'd like to have a chat with you offline as well um if we may Okay. But this was the first time we've spoken. 
And uh, well, I got your name wrong, Nick Gradwell, <laughs> which is always a bad start. Oh, it's, you know, I'm, I don't get offended by it. It's just if, if people are going to look me up on LinkedIn. Yeah, you know, no, no, no. It'd be no nice I, that I got the business, not Nick Gladwell, right? <laughs> that yes, bastard gets all my work. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I'll, I'll always remember that now. So, Nick Gradwell, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. As I, I, if we can, and if you're you're happy to do that, I'd like to do a sort of a Nick Gradwell part two where we can go into a little bit more perhaps about artificial intelligence and Mm -hmm. how you're seeing that uh, and also to have an offline chat with you so for now thank you very much for coming along and uh, joining me on the podcast i very much enjoyed our our conversation both podcast and pre-podcast like a lot of fun and i'd like to uh, continue that with you excellent yeah thank you very much thank you for having me on much appreciated all right thanks for that Nick.